Hi, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor CIO. At first, the cloud proved itself to be more secure than many first feared, especially those feeling leery about storing data and running systems even remotely sensitive anywhere other than on-premise. Yet, as cloud computing has become more pervasive, complex and dynamic, it's become clear that it represents an entirely new technology landscape with new and yet-to-be-realised vulnerabilities demanding new thinking and greater vigilance than ever. Of course, COVID-19 has really brought that to the fore. Our first guest is Chris Neal, who's the Chief Information Security Officer with Ramsey Healthcare. And Ramsey is one of Australia's most successful healthcare companies with operations right across Australia, United Kingdom, France, Scandinavia, Indonesia, Malaysia, offering a range of services spanning surgery, rehabilitation and psychiatric care. Chris, welcome to the CIO Show. Hi David, thanks for having me. Now, the healthcare sector has seen a, an especially sharp rise in the, in the volume and, and also variety of uh, cyber attacks throughout COVID, hasn't it? it? We certainly have, right? It's been a range of, and it's largely still focused on, on ransomware, but uh, yeah. the, uh, the, any organization working on, on vaccine research, for example, is also getting uh, a lot of attention of from yeah. particularly state actors. Yeah, and what, what I mean, why do you, why do you think that is? I mean, health data is is particularly coveted by cyber criminals, isn't it? I mean, it, it it is highly powerful data in the hands of the right people, such as yourself and Ramsey, but also in the hands of in the hands of villains. Uh, most certainly, right? It's uh, if you, if you look at you know what uh, information uh, for identity theft and similar things. It is worth on the dark market. Um, healthcare data consistently is more uh, more expensive and of greater value than, than pretty much anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, it, largely because, of course, you know you can change your credit card, you can't change your medical history. Yes, indeed. Yes, very, Once it's gone, it's gone. It's a very, very, um, very good point. So, how how different do you see the security landscape today you know, with with the mass migration we've seen to the cloud over the past several years? And of course, that's been vastly accelerated throughout the the COVID period. You know, whereby we have, you know, this this huge acceleration in the volumes of data and systems and people that are now outside of the traditional um, company firewall. Uh, it's it, it yeah, it's changed um, quite dramatically, to be honest. Mm. Um, I, you know, Ten years ago, um, it was you know all, all your data was inside. Uh, even for healthcare organizations, you had reasonable control over it. Yeah. Um, you know, we're now, as you say, you know, things in the cloud and well, the cloud is can be more secure than, on, than, than some on-premise systems. There's some other challenges there. Um, but also just the greater, particularly for, for healthcare organizations, the greater amount of sharing of information yeah. between different parties. Yeah. Um, you know, Ramsey, for example, we're, we're a private hospital operator, so we don't employ doctors. Doctors are actually our business partners. Yeah. Um, but we need to share information you know, within our systems with those, you know, with doctors as our partners, with imaging providers, yeah. uh, a whole ecosystem of, of players, um, and <laughs> keeping track of who has it and how well they're securing that data. Yeah, um, is, you know, just adds yeah, adds complexity uh, yeah. quite rapidly. And so, as as Ramsey Sizo, I mean, how how has this you know transition to you know virtual communications, the cloud? changed your thinking your strategy with regard to you know building an effective cybersecurity framework for the organization 
a, a couple of ways. Um, it's you know, it, it's forced us to rethink, forced me to rethink uh, what are the controls I really care about. Yeah. Um, yeah, both for on you know things on premise, things in the cloud, and how are those different? Yeah. Um, how am I helping both you know, my my internal staff, but also our, our various partners and across the the health ecosystem mm. to think about how they need to secure data about the importance of this data and why? You know, because for most healthcare uh, professionals, they think about how are they getting to the outcome. Yeah. Which is good, right? That, that's that's what we want them to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they don't necessarily think about the steps getting sensitivity there. of the data they're working with because it's the data they work with day in day out. Yeah. In 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 vast volumes. Yeah. So getting them to, to think about okay, yes, they need to share it. They need to be able to give it to and use it as they need to treat to treat people, but also take a step back and think about okay, how am I protecting it when I'm when I'm done? Yeah. <laughs> right? And and how you. I mean, how how are you communicating this to them? Um, um, ju- judging by what you're saying and how you're saying it, um, it seems as though there is some sort of an awareness gap that um, I, I'm sure concerns you. Uh, th- there is certainly, yeah. and the, the, yeah, it's it's about talking to them in in language they understand. Yeah, um, yeah. Because for the moment, uh, one of the um, which is I, like I, you, I, you I, might fall fall victim to a Russian ransomware attack, and it's going to cost you a whole lot of money. Is that the language I understand? <laughs> 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 you know, they certainly understand that, yeah. but it's you know, it, um, more generally, and, and the, you know, the language that works best is you know, think about what you know, what could happen if the, this data was late. What, how would the patient feel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And, and, uh, and also, and, and also, not just how the patient could feel, but I mean, you know, situations where the patient's well-being could be compromised, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How, yeah. What could be the, the impact be to the patient? Now, even if there's no adverse effect, yeah. know, would they be embarrassed? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. As a, as, yeah. As, as a first point, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, and obviously, you know, that you know, we run in addition to surgical and rehab, we run mental health facilities. Yes, um, indeed. Yeah, that information gets a um, that could you know materially impact their recovery. Yeah, materially impact their their mental, the patient's mental yes, health. Of course, um, mm. and, and those obviously, yeah. Practitioners, clinicians don't necessarily think of that in the first instance, mm. but once it's pointed out to them, they, most, I won't say all, but most, <laughs> um, understand quite quickly yeah. uh, that, okay, right, you know, there's another lens they need to put on this. And yeah, it, it needs to be a combination of, uh, of that education and that awareness, um, that be, you know, changing behaviors and influencing behavior, um, but also t- tech control, right? Yeah. Um, People are going. To, people are people. They're going to make mistakes. Uh, we need to, you know, part of my challenge is making sure we get the right controls, uh, whether that's or in our systems or controls we impose or, or ask third parties to run, um, so that we limit the the impact if someone makes a mistake because they will make a mistake, right? Yeah. Um, we can't. And yeah, end of the day, I'm not going to blame an, an emergency department doctor who's accidentally done the wrong you know wrong thing with data trying to treat a patient right yeah. the, the level of stress there under trying to treat patients in a busy emergency department yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, as long as they're not maliciously doing the wrong thing mm. I'm happy you know, I'm happy to forgive them whatever they do and we, you know we work to secure the shore up the, the technical controls to limit the impact yeah, sure. I mean, and what what are some of the specific pain points that that you perceive in terms of cybersecurity in the cloud? 
in the cloud, it's and, and it people talk about the cloud as a, as a thing, and there are um, unfortunately a myriad of different types of cloud. Yes, now, the it's cloud sort of, sort of like talking about the universe as a thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, a bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the, the cloud services that you know, Ramsey runs, or, or a healthcare organization runs in, in AWS, or Azure, or Google Cloud, and GCP. Um, that's one thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. We control it. We can set the controls. We, we can set the, the how it's used. Um, but increasingly, to, you know, across healthcare, it's not a cloud system that a healthcare operator runs. Yeah. It's a cloud system that's run as run by a third party on behalf of a, a variety of health organizations, mm-hmm. um, each of which are customers of that, and making getting those third parties to deploy the right controls mm-hmm. is, is a challenge. Um, and it, again, it's. It's about, you know, for that, it's you know, standard you know, third-party yeah. risk management pieces. You know, what are the controls that we expect? How are we assuring ourselves that the third party is doing, you know, is running the, those controls and running them effectively? Yeah. Um, and, and across healthcare, you know, many of these, many of those sort of cloud services are not run by traditional IT providers yes. right there. Um, a, a doctor or a group of doctors had a good idea. They stood up a service and sold it to a number of uh, practi- a number of hospital operators, for example. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and they're all about clin- the clinical outcome, yep. which is good. Yep. But educating them and helping them understand, um, okay, here's what minimum security controls should be. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> having an AWS position. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'll, I'll, you know, a non-trivial part of, of, of my role and you know, my peers at other uh, other you know, private healthcare and and some of the um, the public healthcare organizations yeah. is helping educate them, you know, the broader ecosystem on here's what good looks like, yeah. here's what the minimum requirement looks like. Yeah, it's interesting that you mention um, you know do- doctors having got together and created you know effectively cloud services companies, industry-specific cloud services companies, and the fact that they are still in need of a fair bit of instruction, education with regard to cybersecurity, that theme is, um, is, is quite pervasive throughout the, throughout the cloud space and even right, you know, talking about the big global cloud players from, from you know, Azure to AWS and Google, that... Um, a lot of organisations uh, are assuming that these organiz- that that these cloud service providers are taking certain measures with regard to cybersecurity, which they simply are not. No. Yeah. And it, you know, it, again, you need as an organisation, you know, any any end user organisation needs to be clear on what controls you want to see what controls you believe are, are needed mm. and how they're how they're being implemented right yeah. is that something the service provider is doing for you is that something you need to do yeah. and you need to get really clear before you deploy ideally yeah. <laughs> about who's doing what and how that's being done yeah um yeah the i'll, you know, I'll be frank the number of um third party you know sort of doctor organizations or, or you know smaller healthcare cloud providers uh who I asked them about their security, and they, you know, their response is, "We host an AWS, so we're secure." Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's literally the end of the answer. I'm like, okay, well, yeah. yeah, okay, you've got physical security sorted. Well done. Yeah. Uh, let's talk. 
yeah. some of the other things that maybe should be in place. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's 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 something that um, that is alarming in any industry, and of course, in the healthcare sector, this is you know this this is a a shortcoming which you know you I'm sure you'd agree needs to be addressed immediately, and 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 has has you know the the potential to not only embarrass organisations, not only put healthcare organisations in the crosshairs of, of regulators, but also seriously, um, you know, potentially compromise the, the well-being and even the, the physical health of of their patients. Chris, that was really really fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for, for joining us and we hope to have you back on the show sometime again soon. Thank you, David. Thanks for having me. And joining us now is James Turner, who's the Managing Director of Sysel Lens. Sysel Lens is the peak body for Chief Information Security Officers for some of the largest organisations in Australia and New Zealand. James, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Mate, so how different do you see the security landscape today with the mass migration we've seen to the cloud over the past several years? Yeah, look, interesting question, and we've certainly been through a lot, particularly over the past several months. Um, but when you start looking back over the past several years, I guess I see two main trends. Mm. The first one was for organisations that saw the cloud as being a way of delivering a better service back into their organisation, yeah. and it would improve either their operations or their security or potentially both. The challenge that some of these organizations faced is that they forgot that risk management was still their business. Yeah. And I guess you see that when, you know, APRA published back in, I think it was 2015 from memory, they published their piece for um, APRA regulated entities saying cloud is outsourcing and you still own the risk. Indeed, yeah. Yeah. And so there were two sort of case studies that I think are really interesting for this one in terms of the risk management side of things. One of them was back around the end of 2017 uh, with Amazon S3 Bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one uh, happened this year with uh, Office 365 and multi-factor authentication. Indeed, yeah. So um, if we skip back to the end of 2017, um, well, and over the, you know, as you said, over the past several years, the capability of the cloud vendors, and by cloud vendors, we basically mean AWS and Microsoft, yeah. um, have improved rapidly through the years. Uh, on the side of the tin, most of the Amazon services look amazing. But then if the user that's actually handling it and configuring it isn't yeah. fully informed of what they're doing, yeah. you know, they run the risk of driving the car off the road. Yeah, right. And that, and that's pretty much what happened with the, the S3 bucket. Yeah. So, you know, there was a, a feasibly secure service in and of itself, but we discovered that users weren't configuring it correctly. And so suddenly a whole lot of, personally identifiable information and sensitive corporate information was being exposed to anyone that knew how to look for it. Um, and it wasn't the fault of the product, it was how it was actually being configured and used by the users. So it was this great case of, yes, the capability there from the cloud vendor is profound and orders of magnitude better than most organizations could dream of delivering for themselves. Yes. And they've got to know what they're doing. And so then the second example from this year um, with Office 365 was that uh, we discovered that criminals were able to bypass multi-factor authentication on people's mailboxes if the organization had not disabled legacy protocols. And so once again, amazing, you know, capability from Office 365. You know, um, years ago, back at my old analyst firm, we used to be telling people, why would you run on-premises email now that Microsoft is able to do it for you vastly better than you could ever hope to do it yourself? Sure, yeah, and and, 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 so, more, and more secure, provided you know how to use the security controls. 
Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. And so in this situation, you've got many organizations that, you know, were feeling very confident that they were doing this, but then criminals discovered, oh, right, legacy protocol, here's our way in. And, you know, Microsoft had the ability for people to turn those legacy protocols off, mm. but users had to know that it was there and that it was a risk. Yeah. And yeah. so that becomes the key nature of the challenge. Yes, the cloud is amazing. You know, everyone should use it, but it's not just this magical pudding that just turns into everything that you want and delivers perfect security every single time. Yeah, sure. And and of course, the you know the cloud the cloud service providers have, have been getting, you know, been getting a bad rap over the years because whenever there is a security failing, you know, on on any of their platforms, and we're talking predominantly about AWS and Azure. The finger gets immediately pointed pointed at them, but but by the same token, there was a, a, a quote that I came across uh, Bruce Schneier's recently, obviously you know renowned security mm. expert that anyone can design a security system that they can't break. I think that's a fascinating um, fascinating observation in this context. Yeah, absolutely, and and it really goes to the heart of you know so much of what we know in the security industry today, and you know the existence and the popularity of companies like Bugcrowd uh, mm. is, is a great example of that get someone else to review your work. Yep. Uh, and so that happens on the software side, on the website security side. Um, this is why we regularly engage penetration testers. It's why larger or mature organizations uh, create red teams, you know, dedicated you know, insiders whose job it is to find ways of breaking stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, because it's way too easy to go, that'll do, you know, and, and to stop the, the critical thinking. Yeah. Sure, and, and and the other thing that I've noted is that a lot of IT IT teams, a lot of IT security teams are are facing budget constraints at the moment as well. Yeah, and that's been one of the real interesting things about sort of the the adoption of cloud and the, and the transitions. You know, going through the previous couple of years and then this year, mm. and. You know, there were, as I was saying before, there was like the, the two broad types of organizations. There was the there were the ones that knew that they were going to get an operational impact out of moving to the cloud. Mm-hmm. And there was the second type that were a bit more cautious because they had external obligations and they had people like APRA saying, you know, mm-hmm. cloud is outsourcing, it's your risk. Yeah. And so they were, they were adopting cloud in very tactical ways that would make a difference for them. And then 2020 happened. And I don't think it's actually resulted in a big adoption of cloud per se, but what it has resulted in is a whole lot of security policies, uh, particularly around remote work and, you know, as we call it now, working from home. Mm. They just got torn up. Yeah. And so now you've got security teams, um, technology teams going back and going, you know, that role that could never possibly be done from home? Well, now it's being done from home. And we just accepted a whole lot of risks that we need to go back and review. Yeah. So that's what a lot of people are going and doing now. But they don't get more budget no. because of the financial challenges that have come hand in hand with the pandemic. Yeah, sure. I mean, are you are you sensing from, you know, a lot of your a lot of your members a, a degree of frustration about, you know, what, what CISOs are being charged to do at the moment and the resources and support that they're – that's being afforded to them, you know, and, and of course, you know, as we've been discussing, you know, the, the, you know, the large, the, the biggest sort of impetus of change has been this move to cloud and virtual environments. Yeah. Um, defenders are a little bit crazy <laughs> just to start off with <laughs> because, because they've set themselves this impossible task of trying to protect an organization with technology that 
can sometimes have flaws, you know, and that can be everyone from, and, and just this year, you know, we've seen some horrendous vulnerabilities coming through from F5 and Microsoft, DNS, and, yeah. um, you know, all the rest of it, Mobile Line just recently. And so these organizations, they've got this tool set and they can't just set and forget it. You know, very much like the cloud, they've got to constantly manage and, and understand what they've got. You know, asset management is an incredibly important part of it. And it's not enough to just know what you've got. Yeah. You've got to know how it works yeah. and then how it integrates. And so for a security person, for a defender within an organization to, to front up to, you know, the front line and go, my tools are imperfect. I have an intelligent adversary that's always hunting us. Yeah. And I'm also trying to deal with and educate and inform this organization, which just wants things to work yeah. and wants me to do magic yeah. and ride in on a unicorn to make everything perfect. Yeah. And right. it's just not possible. <laughs> right. So that's why I say defenders are a little bit crazy, right? Yeah. So they were, they were already in that situation. And 2020 has just you know thrown a, a delicious curveball. But if you wanted someone on the front line, it would be these people because they haven't really been sort of thrown into it unwillingly. They were kind of there from the start. Yeah, yeah. So what's your advice to um, CIOs and CISOs or defenders as you describe them um, mm. in terms of you know developing an effective security framework? Yeah. So the, the, if an organization's got a CISO, there's a very good chance that it's already at a fairly high degree of maturity in terms of its understanding around the risks that it faces of yeah. being yeah. an enterprise in the 21st century. Sure. We're, and, but, you know, in, across Australia and New Zealand, those are the exception. Mm -hmm. You know, some big organizations have got CISOs. Most organizations can only dream of that. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of CIOs out there that are accountable for cyber, which is, you know, the, the point of your question, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the lessons that I've drawn through the years from talking to, you know, security executives has been that there's basically two pylons, you know, to try and bridge this chasm of yeah. cyber risk management. Sure. One of them is business engagement and the other one is asset management. Uh -huh. And neither of them are rocket science, he said, breaking the analogy horribly. Um, <laughs> but they're incredibly important. Yeah. Right. You know, so, you know, for years we used to have some of the big global analyst firms, you know, telling us that business alignment was one of the top priorities for CIOs, you yes. know, over the past 20 years. And it's always a challenge because it's the role of the technologists to understand how the business is using the tech in order to actually deliver what the business is about. Um, I had a CISO a couple of years back say to me once that the security team should understand the network better than the IT team. Right. But, but the extension of that is that the IT team should know how the business is using the technology better than the business does. Yes. And that sounds like it's a, an easy thing, but it's not an easy thing. Right. That, that it's not a given at all. So that's the business engagement side of things, to be constantly out there understanding what the business is doing, how they view it, how they're using it, um, you know, the dependency mapping across uh, third parties and those cloud providers that are hidden away in little corners of the business. Yeah. Um, that yeah. suddenly when they go down, the business can't function. Yeah. You know, there's that other great quote, distributed computing is when I can't do my job because a computer I've never heard of stopped working. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and... <laughs> And that ties into the asset management side of things. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can't protect what you don't know about, no. you know, un unless it's through sheer luck. So yeah. understanding what you've got, you know, how important it is to the business, what are the risks against that? Yeah. Uh, what's the tolerance for the business, you know, for that particular asset to be not available, 
um, for you not to be able to trust the information that's coming out of it, yeah. or for someone else to have access to that. <laughs> you know, those are all the, the very nuanced questions around the asset management side of things. So I, I consider those to be the two pylons. Yeah. Um, so for any uh, technology executive that's going down this journey of how do I support my organization through this, I, I would say start with those two pillars. Um, and you can look at all the things like you know, missed security frameworks and so on, but if, I think if you're starting with those two pillars as you know, your pylons, you know, that's the bridge to help you get there. Well, well, James, it, it, it sounds as though you know, many, of, many of the members of, of your organisation, SASA Lens, have, have certainly had a, a challenging year and, um, and unfortunately it doesn't seem as though um, <laughs> the challenges are likely to abate any time soon. But um, thanks so much for sharing your insights and we look forward to having you back on the show soon. No, you're incredibly welcome. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Now, our third and final guest in this episode of the CIO Show is David Hawkes, his partner in Cyber Risk at Deloitte. David, welcome to the show. Hi there, David. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Thank you. Now, one of the biggest issues really in this broader question of cybersecurity in the cloud we've discussed previously is this matter of technical debt, right? Yes. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's definitely a big issue um, in terms of uh, making that move into the into the cloud. So what what we see very often at the moment is, um, uh, is clients that are lifting and shifting these legacy applications, which have you know, they've historically got a lot of technical debt in them already. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've lifted and shifted into the cloud. So it's essentially the same application in a new environment. So mm-hmm. a lot of the issues uh, that, that they had in the, in the previous world with that technical debt is leading through into um, an elevated amount of, of cyber debt that is, that is in the cloud. Yeah. And, and, and often, because that move has been made into the cloud, there's a, there's a notional... Um, expectation that there has been an uplift in security by that that very process of, of doing it. Yeah, right. And and, and I think while the um, you know at the at the infrastructure layer, there's a lot more uh, resilience that's obviously built into those those cloud environments. However, you know when we go up the stack, those applications are still you know very much the same, and a lot of the threats that uh, uh, that were there previously are still very much apparent in the cloud. Mm. And quite often they, they then get forgotten about because that move has been made yeah. and we're, we're now in the cloud. Yeah. Um, they, as I said, so they, uh, they often get um, uh, kind of forgotten about and you move on to the next, uh, the next shiny new thing. Yeah, so you've got this situation where people have moved to the cloud and effectively sort of abdicated responsibility on the security front. Well, perhaps unbeknownst to themselves. They're not, obviously not doing that deliberately, but that's, that's really the outcome, right? Yeah, it is. It really is that that responsibility um, mm. that really needs to be understood as you go through that uh, as you go through that transition. So there needs to be a process where you identify the threats that are there yeah. uh, to to those applications, but you also understand um, who's responsible for for the controls that you're going to put in place in that new environment to yeah. protect against those those threats. Yeah. And you know, often what we see is that's in that rush to move things as quickly as possible into that new environment, those are the, the basic things that, uh, that, that get, uh, get forgotten. Now, something else that we've, we've spoken about in, in, in the past is this, the importance of collaboration you know, within, within teams across the organisation, collaboration with business partners, but in particular collaboration with cloud service providers as well on you know, creating, the, creating the appropriate cybersecurity framework. In the cloud environment. Yep. 
Yeah, I'd say collaboration in security you know, more broadly is is super important. Mm-hmm. So often it's just, you know, and I'm sure you've spoken about this before. It's often seen as you know as, a, as an IT problem, but really it's um, uh, security is something that needs to be considered across the whole uh, business environment. So um, in terms of uh, you know working with, uh, with with senior business leaders that are setting a strategy, there needs to be a strategy that um, that supports the importance of security and privacy from the start. Yeah. But then, yeah. as, the, as the applications get built and the and the solutions are developed, there needs to be an embedding within those within those teams um, of security and privacy um, professionals to be providing guidance, kind of on the floor, day to day, when they're when they're stood there in front of the. Um, uh, you know, in a, in a scrum stand-up meeting, going through what's going to happen in, in the week, there needs to be someone there that's thinking about um, thinking about security from the start, because yeah. it, it's so much, and, and we see this a lot. Um, it's so much more easy to um, to be embedding those design principles at the start, rather than uh, letting things go, having that you know that complacency that we spoke about. Yeah. There then being an incident and then having to go back and refactor everything and you know there's the cost and the complexity is is enormous yeah well I mean as, as my grandmother might have said but probably not in the context of the cloud computing a stitch in night and stitching time saves nine right so uh, I think that's certainly true so um, in, in terms of just embedding it from the start get those things done and you have to go back and uh, and, and fix them later on talk, talk to me a little bit about you know your, your thoughts around um, you know how how customer reputation and brand reputation should you know be be also part of this conversation. I, th- I think you've got two elements of it there. So um, you've got you know if we're thinking about a so digital platform, for example, that's that's being developed, the customer has an expectation uh, that that platform is going to work seamlessly. It's going to be a great user experience, and there's that there's that brand reputation that's that's then built up. Uh, on that on that platform, and the, the customers get used to it. They get used to new functionality being added. Yeah. And if we think of the curve, so the level of trust that they have in that um, in that platform starts to increase. Yeah. And I suppose a, I suppose with you know with this situation that we've been talking about you know, um, with our previous guests as well, you know, whereby we have you know, this mass exodus of of people moving to this work from home environment beyond the company firewall, there is this situation I suppose where you have. Um, you know, an unprecedented um, proportion of staff within any given organization or working for any given brand that, you know, now have the cybersecurity of the organization to some extent and varying degrees in their hands. I, I think it does. So, I mean, so working from uh, with this large workforce, all working from home, uh, we've got a, you know, there's been a massive increase in the potential um, you know, attack surface area for, for, for organizations. So, yeah, it's a good point. It's really critical for those, uh, you know, that, those, those employees to understand, um, the, the, the critical, uh, part of the, of the, of the security, I guess, framework that they're in. And they need to be conscious of protecting that data whilst it's, um, you know, it's outside of those corporate combo, those physical corporate confines. Yeah, sure. And what what would be your advice to CIOs and, and CISOs? Of course, a lot of CIOs have, have got 
um, you know, cybersecurity responsibilities. What, what's your advice to those people in terms of, you know, how to go about you know, developing an effective security framework? I know we talked about, you know, the importance of, of starting, at the, starting at the beginning and, and, and a stitch in time and so forth. But, you know, further to that, what, 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 what's your advice? I think there's some, there's some real basics. The, the first one is really understanding what are the critical systems and the critical types of data uh, to, to the business. So what are the things that are, um, you know, the, the, the nice to have data assets and, uh, and systems? And what are the ones that the business would start to uh, kind of, um, you know, potentially be creaking at the seams or start to, to mm. fall apart? So identifying those critical assets. Um, understanding who is responsible for managing those assets. Yeah. And then thirdly, understanding uh, the threats that those assets face. Yeah, so sure. without, without those three things, you can't really move on to the next stage to be identifying the, the capabilities and the controls that you need in place to protect them. So you've got to know, um, you know what you're dealing with. So it comes down to that, yeah. having that, that tight focus view. Yeah, sure, and and of course, I mean, even you know, even the most diligent and and, and well intentioned CIOs slash CISOs who may have done exactly what you've just described, you know, last year or the year before, and, and are now um, you know in in a completely different cybersecurity environment because of COVID, and also in parallel, you know, there's been this this you know, fairly fairly abrupt move to, you know, what we call the, the, the multi-cloud environment as well and hybrid cloud environments. Yeah, I, I think as, as soon as you start adding that, um, adding that complexity, mm. I mean, there's an added, so, you know, complexity is the, is the enemy of security. Yeah. So w- when you've got that, um, you know, that, that increase in complexity and you've also got, uh, you know, different points connecting into into the environments it it can uh, you know kind of increase the risk level and at the same time you know we've we've all seen in the news uh, whilst we've been at home at COVID the, the increasing um, you know abundance of, of, of cyber incidents so all of this is ha- we've had the uh, the environment of the organizations change and at the same time uh, the threat landscape has evolved, and the and the, and the threats have increased. So, yeah. it's um, it's really a bit of a bit of a double whammy. It, it's important that, uh, you know, that that people are looking at those assets and understanding, you know, how things have changed over the last year. Are the things that you you cared about a year ago still uh, still relevant to the most important systems to be protecting in, in your environment today? Yeah, indeed, very sage advice. Well, David, thanks so much for joining us. We look forward to welcoming you back on the CIO show sometime soon. All the best. Fantastic. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. It's been a long-running lament, the lack of a proper Indigenous technology industry in Australia. With a number of homegrown companies ascending to the world stage, the creation of a dedicated tech index on the Australian Stock Exchange, Australia's ambitions to have its own Silicon Valley-style industry and innovation hubs may be coming to fruition. In this next episode of the CIO Show, we talk to analysts, CIOs and local vendors themselves about what Australian technology is offering today for the enterprise of tomorrow. We hope you can join us.